Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 13. Okay? If you've been following us, you know that Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 in particular, kind of set the tone for the whole chapter and, and really the rest of the book. Romans chapter 12 is all about this, our reasonable response, right, to the mercies of God that we saw all chapters 1 through 11. If you look at it, you kind of see verses 1 and 2 is kind of the overarching view of that reasonable response. You remember, number one, relinquish your body. That is, just give your body as a living sacrifice to the Lord. Number two, resist the world's conforming. Don't uh, buy into the way the world wants you, to, wants you to mold you into its image. Number three, renew by the word. That is, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, it says, right? And then we saw uh, that fourth R is the result. When you do these things, you will prove, that is, show to the world what God can do with a sinner. You will prove that good and acceptable will of God. Okay? Then on Sunday, this last Sunday, we saw the first place that this metamorphosis, because that's the word, transformation, metamorphosis. Where's the first place? See if you were paying attention. Where's the first place that this metamorphosis, the laboratory where God shows what he can do with the sinner? Where's the first place it shows up? Here in church, right? Not the building, but among the believers. Uh, the laboratory, if you will, is here in church. God is working a metamorphosis in us. Think about that. He is transforming, metamorphosizing us from men and women who used to only think about themselves to those who think more and more, hopefully, of others. He's transforming us in, from those whose primary question in life used to be, how can I meet my needs, or how can you meet my needs, to how can I serve you? That's kind of the tenor of where we were on Sunday. Paul now continues tonight on the subject of the transformed life. If you and I will re daily relinquish our bodies to him, if we will resist the world's conforming, if we will renew our minds in the word, we will be transformed day by day. We will be transformers. Okay, chapter 12 is all about what a transformer should look like. Okay, um, as we go through these verses, if you are convicted, guess what? That means there's still some transformation that God wants to do in you. If you're not convicted, then he really wants to work in you. <laughs> a thing of transformation. Let's try something different tonight. Actually, um, I would love to do this. As you, you're going to see, this is like machine gun fire when it comes to application. Uh, Paul is just saying, do this, do this, do this, do this. Um, could we tonight kind of maybe just real quickly when, when the Lord sort of rings your bell, when he goes, hey, that one's for you. Could you um, just write that down, you know, write a word to remind yourself, notate it somehow, or highlight it uh, if, you, if you do that in, in your Bibles. Put a little mark by the verse or something. Because what I want to do, we could spend a ton of time with me reviewing all the applications, but what I'd love to do instead tonight 
is to break into to little small groups afterwards and just pray for one another, whether it's just a few words, hey, that verse, will you pray that for me? That kind of thing, okay? So um, when something is convicting, just notate it, and at the end we're going to pray for each other, okay? We breeze through verses 9 and 11 on Sunday, so let's go back and look at them a little more in depth. Verse 9 says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. The transformed life, a transformer, Loves without hypocrisy. And the word there for love is agape. That's You guys know it's God's kind of love. It's undeserved love, right? It's loving the unlovable. And it says without hypocrisy. That means fakeness, an actor on a stage. Have you guys ever been on the receiving end of someone acting like they love you? Right? That painted on smile. But you can tell they're thinking, bless your heart, sinner. <laughs> I'd hug you, but I'm afraid your ugliness will rub off on me. That kind of thing. In today's cynical world, people see through that really, really quickly. Okay? So, just right off the bat, don't fake it. Don't pretend like you love someone. Now, some of you are thinking, wait a second. There are some people, the only way I will love them is by faking it. (laughs) Is by acting. Here's what I'd say. Look, if by acting you mean taking action, then that's good. If by acting you mean praying for them or praying with them or showing them mercy or treating them with respect, though they don't deserve it, if that's what you mean by acting, then go for it and your feelings will follow. But if by acting you just mean putting on a a fake smile, faking it, Paul says don't waste your time because people see through that, especially in our culture. They see through it right away, okay? So this is, listen, this is a supernatural thing to be sure. And that's the thing. We're talking about being transformed from the natural me, which is probably tends to fake it or not love people, to that which is supernatural, that actually loves people and is not Faking it. It's all a part of the transformed life. Verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy and abhor what is evil. The transformed life abhors what is evil. It literally means to have a horror of. To be repulsed by evil things. The transformed life abhors what is evil. I wonder how many of our habits would change if every born-again Christian taped just these four words to our TVs or our computer screens. Abhor what is evil. Better yet, what if we taped the next five words as well? Cling to what is good. Not only is the transformed life repulsed by what is evil, but it clings to what is good. The Greek word means to glue together, cement, superglue. The transformed Christian, Paul says, runs fast from what is evil, but he is super glued to what is good. Like the Bible. Like his or her family. Things that are good, like church. Things that are good, like love, mercy, kindness. Super glued to your spouse. The transformed life abhors what's evil but clings to what is good. Is there any application here? Here's my question for application. Is there any area which comes to mind where you've got it turned around? You're kind of clinging to what is not good for you 
and you're avoiding or neglecting what is good. If so, put a little hash mark right there by this verse. Ask someone to pray for you tonight. Verse 10. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. The transformer, the transformed Christian treats other believers like family. Now, depending on how you treat your family, maybe better. Because this phrase is actually filled with family love type words. You see where it says kindly affectionate? It's philo, philo storgos. It's philo is brotherly. Storgos means family or motherly love. This, this word in the Greek means the mutual love of parents and children and wives and husbands. It's chiefly of the reciprocal tenderness of parents and children. And then at the end of this phrase, it says to one another with brotherly love. The word Philadelphia, right? Brotherly love. You, you knew that. Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. Every Eagles game is a picture of that. Okay, bad example. The, the idea, though, right, is that the transformed life treats other believers, people that you're sitting next to, like family. Just like a family, Paul says, look, we need to think like a family. We are stuck with each other. Right? We may have disagreements. We may not like each other sometimes, but we are determined to work out our disagreements because blood is thicker than water. Christ's blood is thicker than water. Right? Application. Is there a family feud you need to fix? Something you need to address? Is there somebody you avoid that's part of the body of Christ where you worship? If so, do it tonight, right? Or, or make a commitment to do it tonight. That is your reasonable response. Remember, we're talking about a transformed life. Look, before you were saved, before you were given to Jesus, then you could be just like the world. The world cuts and runs. The, the world refuses to forgive. The world says, no, I don't have to deal with that. But... Paul says, look, don't be conformed to that way of thinking, the world's way. Be a transformer. Seek to resolve that family feud. Verse 10, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. In honor. Uh, the word actually means to place a high value on. And check this out. It says, giving preference Interesting, it means to go before and show the way or to lead the way. So when you think, when you put these things together, what this means is that the transformed life, the true Christian who is, you know, and, and again, none of us are, have reached this, but the transformed life is moving more and more in this direction to lead by yielding. To lead by letting the other fellow go first. I saw this in uh, Reader's Digest for whatever reason. That I'm getting all my illustrations from Reader's Digest this week. W one guy, th th there's two, two cars meet on a one-lane bridge, okay? One guy, he's a jerk. He honks and he curses, back up. I don't back up for idiots. On the other end of the bridge, the lady puts it in reverse and says, I do. <laughs> the transformed life leads by yielding. Don't take this wrong, but here's your application. Is there an idiot you can back up for? <laughs> don't, don't call them that. 
But is there someone that you could show this is what Christian yielding looks like? You could lead them by way of yielding. Someone that you could show by example. Look, this is what valuing your neighbor looks like. This is what serving another person who doesn't deserve it looks like. That's what this text is saying. Value the other person's time, their reputation, whatever it is, even more than your own. Now again, that's not natural. But it's supernatural. It is a transformed life. It's evidence of a transformed life. Verse 11, not lagging. That means sluggish or slothful. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit. Maybe I should remind us that the transformed life is supposed to be anything but boring. Transformed life is not just doing enough to get by or muddling through life. Let me put it this way. Eeyore is not supposed to be the Christian mascot. Sometimes I wish some of us, and I'm sure it happens to all of us at different times, sometimes I wish we could see ourselves during our time of worship. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. Like a flood as mercy reigns. Unending love, amazing grace. I mean, these words are powerful. The reality is true. It's amazing. But sometimes we just, eh, right? Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit. And I know you're thinking, but look, I'm really tired. Okay, that's natural. What about supernatural? Right? Verse 11, not lagging in diligence, it says, but fervent in spirit. Check it out. In case you're not convinced yet, the word fervent means to boil with heat. The transformed Christian, Paul says, has an on-fire relationship with the Lord. Application. If, as you're thinking about this, your enthusiasm, you realize, has cold, uh, cooled a little bit. Spend some time near the heat of the sun. Right? Think about the words as you sing them. Spend time near Him and draw near to Him and you will have this fervent in spirit relationship. Verse 11, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit. Then it says, serving the Lord. I want to rewind a second to Sunday's message, right? If you were here, you you remember I was pretty blunt, pretty bold, right? The, the, the overarching message of Sunday was, look, God wants you, if you are a member of this particular body, okay? He wants you serving Him by serving His church. And by the way, it is true, you know what they say about idle hands being the devil's workshop? One thing, if you, if you want to be tempted less, serve more. If you want to be less self-absorbed, be more absorbed in service. Okay? That's the message from Sunday. And here he says, serving the, look, the Lord. This is really important. If you left Sunday thinking, man, he really laid it on thick. Now I need to serve Calvary Chapel. No. Don't serve Calvary Chapel. Serve the Lord at Calvary Chapel. 
No, really, it's, it's true, though. It's a huge mind shift, right? If you serve Calvary Chapel, it won't be long before you burn out. You'll be thinking the, the words that so easily flow through our heads. Nobody appreciates me. Nobody said thank you. I do all this for the church. And this is what I get. Resin, resin, resin. Okay, enough about my inner dialogue. No, no. No, totally just kidding. Matter of fact, I can honestly say I am having a blast. And you know why? Because if you serve Calvary Chapel, it will get old really fast. But if you serve the Lord, you will find you won't burn out. And here's why. Because you can never say, nobody appreciates this that I do. Wait a second. If you serve the Lord, you've been paid in advance. With forgiveness, justification, just as if I'd never sinned. Riches in heaven, eternal life, a promise to be with Him. The transformed life does not serve men or churches, but serves, it says, the Lord. Okay? Verse 12. Then he says, rejoicing in hope. Y'all, hope is a future type word. Paul is saying, one of the things he's saying here is, the, the transformed life rejoices in his or her future with the Lord. The transformed life is not reliving the hell of the past or regretting the hurts of the present, but rejoicing in the hope of the future. Now, I think you guys know, but I'll I'll make sure that I say it again. You you understand, in the Bible, the word hope does not mean, well, I hope it happens. I hope I get to go to heaven. No, no. Hope in the Bible is very specific. It's, uh, if you look it up, you will find this definition. It's the joyful and confident expectation of something. And in this case, it's the joyful and confident expectation of a perfect future with Jesus. That I am, as I'm becoming transformed, I can tell you truly, you know, there are things in here that you, you go, wow, I'm not sure if I got an A in that one. Ooh, may have gotten a B in that one. Ooh, look, there's a D. Ooh, there's an F. Right? But I can tell you that I feel like, in general, as you look at my life over the last 10, 20 years, I'm rejoicing more and more in my certain future. I'm rejoicing in hope. And if you haven't discovered it yet, I'm telling you, it's the very best way to make your present fun, is to rejoice in your future. When I rejoice effectively in my future my present becomes more and more enjoyable i have become more and more sure for instance that i will see noah healed of autism whether it's here or in heaven i am more and more sure that i will have a conversation with him and you know what that does it makes even autism which is pretty much the biggest thing that lisa and i face right now It makes even autism fall under the category of this too shall pass. You see what I'm saying? It's just it's a huge thing when you can actually rejoice in the future. The transformed life rejoices in hope. Application. Are you regretting the hurts of yesterday or reliving the hurts of yesterday? Or regretting the hurts that you're having today 
Or are you rejoicing in hope of a heavenly tomorrow that's guaranteed for you? See, the transformed life, Paul says, rejoices in the future, in hope. Verse 12, rejoicing in hope. He says, patient. That means steadfastly enduring in tribulation. Patient in tribulation. The word tribulation there is philipsis. And literally it means pressure. Patient under pressure. Does that describe you? You might want to write a little check mark if it doesn't. In ancient times, uh, this word philipsis, they would use this uh, to describe a, a certain form of torture. They would lay you down. They would put a board on you. And they would put this huge boulder on top of that board. What The result, of course, was a slow, unrelenting pressure. A crushing. To where when you exhale, you could not then inhale. It's a suffocating. You can't breathe. Okay? It, it means to be under pressure, unrelenting, where you can't even seem to catch your breath. Maybe there's folks here tonight where that describes your situation. The transformed life, though, listen, Paul says, endures that kind of trial patiently. Okay, that's not natural. That is supernatural. You remember how Paul said, describing himself and his uh, cohorts, look, we are hard-pressed on every side. Pressure, 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 but we are not crushed. That's what he's talking about. Patient. We, we're enduring even that kind of crushing pressure. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, this one's pretty convicting. Sometimes I, I tend to give myself an A in this area and I've got it all, all the definitions wrong. Sometimes I think, okay, I'm under pressure and I'm proud of myself that I, I just didn't lose it. Right? Hey, I'm under so much pressure, but I didn't climb a tower and shoot everybody. Good for me. <laughs> but a supernaturally transformed life is patient and calm underneath that ongoing pressure. And, and don't tell me that it's not possible because Paul proved it, right? He was under that boulder for, what, 30 years. Okay, verse 12, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Literally, it means to be a constant companion of prayer. Interesting, one of the definitions of the word prayer is, uh, the, the Greek word is prosuke. And listen to this, it means a place in the open air where the Jews would pray outside the cities where they had no synagogue. So the word prayer is an open air synagogue, a place of worship without walls. I don't know if this makes sense, but to me, I, what I hear Paul saying to the transformer, okay, to the Christian who's like, I want to be different. He's saying, look, look I should be describing you more and more this way. The world is your house of worship. The whole world is your house of worship, is where you come and pray and worship. Some of you might not remember the ancient days before the iPod. We had this machine. It cranked. No. Um, we had this ancient machine called the Walkman. And the first time I experienced it, 
was the coolest phenomena because the whole world became a music video. You know what I mean? He put these things in your ear and like people that are walking, they seem like they're dancing. <laughs> Paul says, look, the transformed life is like that with prayer. The whole world is your worship service. Um, everywhere you go, you're a constant companion of prayer. Everything you face, instead of worry, you pray. Every person you meet gets prayed for, if silently, because the soundtrack of prayer is going with you wherever you go. That's what Paul, how he describes the transformed Christian prayer life. Transformed Christian is a constant companion of prayer. The transformed Christian worries about nothing, prays about everything. The transformed Christian complains about no one, but prays for everyone. The transformed Christian leaves here tonight and takes worship with him or her. Y'all remember when Jesus spoke of the lady who was always bugging that unjust judge? (laughs) He's like, let me sleep. Let me sleep. She just kept coming, asking him uh, to to see, uh, show her justice, to to uh, rule on on her case. And uh, the point of that, Jesus is not saying that God is like this judge that's bored, you know, and tired of us. No, the point is, look, if a selfish, lazy judge will respond to constant pleas, Jesus says, look, just imagine if you will continually, steadfastly seek the face of a loving Heavenly Father, don't you think it'll matter? Don't you think that He will uh, gladly answer your prayers, those which are good for you? The transforming Christian is, verse 12, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, and distributing to the needs of the saints. The word distributing means, coin. It's, it, in the Greek it's koinonio, most of you are probably familiar with that word. It's a word we use commonly for fellowship. In this context, it means to join one's self as an associate, to make oneself a sharer or a partner. So you could put it this way. The transformer partners with saints in need. Now I can tell you, in general, Calvary Chapel of the Lakes, you guys get an A on this one. I was just really quickly going through some examples of just this last week. Here's some examples of ways that many of you have partnered with those in need. A brother needs help with uh, his home. Many of you have partnered with him. A couple has just had a baby. Those of you on the meals ministry team have partnered with them. A sister tonight is waiting at Waterman for news on her husband. And many of you have partnered with her in prayer or called or uh, visited. Someone has given anonymously so that another brother can go to the men's conference, partnering with those in need. Okay? Many of you excel in this, coming alongside those in need and, and just basically saying, hey, let me carry this with you. I can't carry it for you, but I can help you carry this. Okay? He says, distributing to the needs of the saints. And then he says, we're going to end with this one, given to hospitality. Hospitality, the word is philoxenia. And it means showing love to strangers. Interesting when it says also given to, it means to pursue. 
to seek after diligently. Uh, the word in the Greek is dioko. It's the same word for persecution, but it means in the positive, hey, just to, to run after, to chase after. In the negative, it would mean, of course, persecution. So check this out then. The transformed Christian, Paul says, at the end of verse 13, eagerly seeks out opportunities to bless strangers. Think about that. Especially if you're like me, and I know, again, I feel like I, most of you probably wouldn't believe it, but I actually am, by nature, a little on the shy side. Think about what a metamorphosis it is for so many of us to eagerly seek opportunity to bless complete strangers. It's not normal. It's supernatural. I tell you, I, truly, I am uncomfortable even meeting strangers sometimes let alone blessing them. Some of you guys have even told me uh, on Sunday mornings you hate the time when we have to say hello to each other. Right? It's so awkward. What do I do? What do I say? Right? Our natural inclination, even on a Sunday morning, is to seek out people we already know, that we're already comfortable with. Y'all, this is why churches get a rep for being cliquish. You ever thought through that? The clickishness is actually just natural. It's normal. Who doesn't want to hang out with people you're comfortable with? Who wakes up and says, I want to hang out with people I'm uncomfortable with? <laughs> it's absolutely normal and natural to want to hang out with people you know. But listen, Paul says it's supernatural to seek out ways to bless strangers. Think about this. If everyone comes to church, everybody, every believer here, and you just behave naturally, you only seek your own comfortable friendships, then every single visitor will leave feeling neglected and alone. But if we supernaturally pursue, that is, seek after ways to bless the stranger in our midst, then supernatural things like that person finds a home church. That person begins to get fed. That person's life begins to change. It's really that simple. How awesome would it be if everyone here, just even here tonight, said, Lord, make me given to hospitality. Lord, I will. I'm not comfortable, but I will seek out the stranger so that I can bless them. How awesome would it be if, if every person said, look, I'm going to reach out to two people this Sunday that I don't know their names. I'm going to learn two names. Um, better yet, I will pray for people, two people that I don't know. Um, or, Lord, I'm, I'm going to make at least one stranger feel welcome here. I heard a great idea. This is just a practical thing that just really captured me, and, and hopefully it, w it will you as well. I would love for us as a church in general to implement this. There's nothing wrong, again, there's nothing wrong with wanting to hang out with your peeps, right? People that you're comfortable with, right? The, the Lord has, has made us that way. There's nothing wrong with it unless that's all you do. You only hang with your peeps. What if, and this is the idea I heard, what if we each devoted either before the service or after the service to hospitality? to reaching out to the stranger, 
So the way it would look for you, look, before the service, I'm going to hang with the people that I'm comfortable with. But after the service, I'm going to go searching, searching, I can't say the word, searching out the stranger and making them feel welcome or vice versa. Before the service, that's going to be the time when I go and I learn names and I uh, bless people and I say, how can I pray for you? But after the service, that's when I'm going to hang with the people that make me comfortable. Now, maybe some of you, when you see the word hospitality, you think, oh, that's the pastor's job. I, I would actually, because I know it's easier for me now because, you know, people come to me, which is pretty cool. I would love it to be only my job as far as I would love to be able to pull that off. But just watch on a Sunday morning and see how much time I get to actually go and get to those people who are brand new. Hardly ever happens because I'm praying for somebody or someone's coming to me. They're wanting to talk about the the message, whatever. It's all good stuff. But if you're thinking I'm going to get it done, it's not going to happen. It's just not. The Bible says that what, what I am to do is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Amen. Right? Guess who's the saints? You. Okay? If instead we all look at seeking out the stranger, if we look at that idea as part of our job, each one of us, then no one will feel left out. Okay? All right, we're going to pick up on Sunday here uh, where we left off, but let's close by way of review, Okay? Our reasonable response to the mercies of God, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, is to relinquish our bodies, right? A living sacrifice, to refuse to be conformed to the world, to renew our minds, that is, be transformed slowly, daily into His image, to be transformers. And y'all, this is what transformers look like, beginning in verse 9. A transformer loves without faking it. A transformer runs from evil. A transformer clings to what is good. A transformer treats other believers like family. A transformer leads by yielding. A transformer is not lagging in diligence. He's on fire. She's on fire. A transformer does not serve Calvary Chapel, but serves the Lord. Verse 12, a transformer does not regret the present hurts, relive the past hells, but rejoices in the hope of a future with Jesus. A transformer supernaturally endures even crushing pressures. Transformer is a constant companion of prayer. That is, the world is their synagogue. Verse 13, a transformer partners with the needy and searches out in order to bless strangers. So as we close, have you already arrived? Or is there still room for transformation? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your mercy and your goodness. And I thank you that we have a little bit of time here. And what we want to do, Lord, is to to bless you, Lord, to to come to you and just ask uh, one another for prayer. Lord, this list is uh, pretty pretty, uh, involved. Lord, and I'm sure that each one of us, that probably the real hard thing is to to narrow it down to one or two. Lord, but I ask that you'd help us because... um, I would love it if we could spend a little bit of time praying for each other for these things, Lord, uh, that we would be more and more transformed, Lord, that we would be uh, more and more like you and that we'd be committed to helping one another in that. We love you and we just welcome you in this time of application in Jesus' name. Amen.